What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of the Promptly Written Podcast, where every month we take a writing prompt provided by you, write stories based on it, and then break them down for you. My name's Matt Shigarek, and with me as always, Ian Lewis. What's up, Ian? Hey, man, what's going on? Ah, nothing. You know, just uh, living the dream, really. Yeah, some some kind of dream. Might be a nightmare. <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, everything's kind of the same as last month. I don't think we need to to like dive into it too much. And, you know, I'm still working from home mostly. You're probably still working from home mostly. Yeah, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so you know, it is what it is. You know, the 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 biggest thing now in this household is what the plan for school is going to be. But I even have to imagine that's going to change. So, whatever, you know. Yeah, nothing, nothing will, nothing will surprise me at this point. I'm waiting for aliens to show up. I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, alien DNA and demon sperm is in the news, so it's a it's a uh, nothing twisted will surprise time. Me. <laughs> oh, anyway, so let's just let's just start diving right into it. I got one piece of follow up, and it's going to be real quick because I just wanted to kind of touch. it. I got it in the document here, so I got to talk about it because. Uh, last month I said I was going to do Camp NaNoWriMo and I had this master plan to write for at least 60 minutes a day and I was going to have, I don't even remember what that equates to, like a bunch of minutes of writing and I didn't fucking do it. I, uh, I maybe put in, let's say I put in maybe around five to six hours for, for the story for this podcast. And then... I did maybe like three hours like brainstorming about another project, but I never actually started writing that other project. I was, it was nothing more than the brainstorm. So out of the 30 days of 60 minutes writing, I maybe did, I maybe did a third of that. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it's not <that's>, good. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, you need it's to, it's not good. I need to, I need to, discipline there. It's, it's just one of those things. What I probably need to do is actually, I um I recently jumped back into to the streaming again, the video games or whatever, which is totally counterproductive to this writing thing, and I I realize oh, yeah. that. Yeah, but um, but it's like I I schedule that, like you know, I do that Wednesday, and I do that Sunday at ten o'clock, and then I go until at least midnight. So it's just like I'm thinking maybe. I pick another, like, it doesn't have to be every day, but what if, like, another two or three days a week, I say, maybe 10 o'clock is my time, where every night, it's like, this is my, like, wind-down time, and it's either it's either streaming tonight, or it's writing tonight, but at 10 o'clock, I, because if not, I literally just watch Friends until 1 o'clock in the morning until I'm falling asleep <laughs> on the recliner. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> you have to make, if you can make time for video games, you can make time for writing. That's what I'm saying. It's just, I, I, I think my problem is, is I actually, I have two, two ideas of like a longer work and I'm just really not sure which one I want to pick. And I think that's what's bothering me right now. And it, it also could just, I could just be using that as an excuse, but I do have two and I don't know which one to pick. So if you were in that scenario, like... I mean, you kind of always know which one you're going to do when you approach the end of one, right? Like when you were done with Winterfield Nights, you knew that you were going to go back. You were going to do your right. follow up to From Legend, but you you knew that that was going to happen, right? Right. I decided that early on. I mean, I I don't know that I've ever been in the situation where, at a blank slate, had two competing ideas that I didn't know what to pick. I've I've never had that. Okay. Now I've had where I'm I'm getting close to finishing a book. And I know what I'm doing next, and I get anxious to start that. But like, I've, I've that's about as close as I can I can say I've gotten to that. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. So I mean, what I need to do is just make it to sit. Maybe what I need to do is just maybe sit down and I don't know, try to develop a character or write a scene or something with from each and see which one feels more natural and which one I'm more excited about. You that or try to outline them. Yeah. I do have, I have a, like, I went back and actually outlined, um, I outlined one of them. It's the one that I already started. I went back, I revisited a previous outline, and I kind of really dumbed it down. So I think we talked about it on the podcast before the, uh, when I was learning it. It was like uh, the save the cat method. Are you familiar? Uh, I don't think so, no. Um, let me see. It was developed as a screenwriting, um, was it fucking... Sid Field, is that his name? I don't know. I'll look it up, but it's the Save the Cat method. Let me find... I'm going to my, my notebook where I have all of this handwritten. Because I'm not a savage, and I use pen. And I like to announce that every chance I get. So essentially, he he breaks the story down into... What? 15 beats that you hit like on the way. So I'll just run through them real quick, and then we'll move on. But you have the opening image, so like kind of like establishing the norm. Then you state your theme, and then the third is the setup, the fourth is the catalyst, the fifth is the debate, then we're going to break into act two, uh, number six, where you start your B story, and then the eighth one is called fun and games, where you kind of just like this, like the body, you know, like where everything's kind of going awry. Then you hit your midpoint, your bad guys close in, your all is lost moment, and then the dark night of the soul, I don't remember how he did that, but I have like a little sentence here. And then you break into Act 3, you give your finale, and then you have your final image. So those are those 15 things. So what I did was I just kind of wrote, like, a sentence or two for each of those. So instead of having, like, an outline, like, saying, this is what's going to happen in Chapter 1, I just, like, have these 15 beats from the beginning to the end. And it's like, I know what's going to happen at each of those, and then I just need to write to get to that point. Does that make sense? So instead of having like a really strict outline, it's just kind of like I have bullet points. That way, because the stuff that I've done on outlines before, like I've outlined some some stuff for school and some of the short stories that I'd turn in because it was just like we had to turn in the outlines, you know, to kind of learn the process or whatever. Right. And it was like you do all of your creative stuff when you're coming up with the outline because you're figuring it out. And then when you go back and write it, it's almost like a chore because you're not like discovering things about your characters anymore, if that makes any sense. Yep. So I'm trying to avoid running into that when I'm writing this because I don't want it to feel like work. Like it is work, but I don't want to like... You don't want to take the fun out of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, I need to to dive back in or maybe I should maybe try to do that for the other story and see which one ends up uh, sticking with me. I don't know. What I need to do is stop talking about what I'm going to do and just fucking do it. And you know what? And that's, I put this quote in the document and I just told you like a minute before we started recording (laughs) that I couldn't fucking remember why I put this, this quote in the document. And now I realize why I did it. It's a quote from William Faulkner and it's, the quote is, don't be a writer, be writing. And in, in thinking about that now, it's just like... I can identify as a writer because I've written things, but like I shouldn't identify myself with things that I've done. I should be identifying myself by by the things that I'm doing. So I kind of like this quote, and now I realize why I put it in there. So it's, it's, this all yeah, came full I'd circle. Say, 
I'd say it fits. I'm glad you kept it in there. Yeah, yeah. All right. So th- that's my kind of like half-assed follow-up to Camp NaNoWriMo. But like, um, yeah, I just I just need to to. I think what I need to do is if I can if I can stick to the schedule for the video games. You're right. If I can stick to that schedule, then I should be able to stick to a schedule for writing. Because even if I write for a couple hours a night, two or three times a week, that I mean that could be anywhere. That could be what five six thousand words, give or take. A week, I mean, oh, that doesn't how productive you that's, are. That's not writing at a like ridiculous, crazy pace, but you know, it's getting something down. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, anyways, I'm glad we talked this through because that worked, and I'm glad I left the quote in there because, like, wow, it just it fit. Boom, just like that. All right, so um, for our main topic this month, I um. I was reading this interview in Writer's Digest with a guy named uh, Gregory Jeffers, and he won their short story competition um, this year. And when I was reading through the interview, he said something that um, really kind of just made me think about my stories. And um, I don't know if you got a chance to look at this yet, but I'm just going to read the quote. It's kind of a long quote, but just bear with me. So he says, the challenge of flash fiction is making a piece a story, not just presenting a situation that ends in a joke. It seems like a lot of flash fiction is a situation looking for a punchline, Jeffers says. To make a short story whole, the story needs an arc and character that's difficult in a short work. The people that are best at it are the folks that have the ability to create the iceberg with 10% of the story showing up and the other 90% below the water. So I was thinking about that because sometimes I do feel like the short stories that, especially the ones that I write for this podcast, they, they're they like a scene. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. we, we have a character in a situation and then we get him out of it and it either ends, in my, in my case, it either ends with something really messed up or like some like kind of joke, right? So I was thinking about that and then... I don't know. What do you, what do you think of just that first quote before I go into some other other things that he said? Like does does that make sense? Like I mean that definitely makes sense, but I'm I'm trying to to think if I'm one of the people <laughs> that he says, you know, it's almost like a negative connotation. Like a lot of flash fiction is just a situation and it's not an actual story and I kind of feel like some of my stuff could be labeled like that. And uh I don't know. What, what do you think? I think I get what he's saying. I I think I I um I, I mean I can't say that I've read I don't think I've ever read anything that would be considered flash fiction before, before outside of what we write. Um, obviously I've written short or I've read short stories, but actual flash fiction, I don't think I've read. So it's, it's hard for me to, to say that he's correct, but I think I understand what he's getting at. Right. And it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I think his comment at the end about 10% of the story showing up and the other 90% below the water. um, I I think that applies to any type of fiction. I, I really think that, if you can, I kind of, to a certain extent, call it the Christopher Nolan effect a little bit where like when you get to the end of the story or the end of a show or a movie or whatever, and like you're left wanting just a little bit, but in a good way, like, you know, there, there's, there's something left up to your interpretation or you got a glimpse of something that's sort of intriguing, but like you don't get all of it. And so you walk away, you know, thinking about it and wanting to go back to it um, and study it more. Mm-hmm. And I that I always try to, at least in some of my books, I try to get that sort of effect across. And I, I think 
I think that applies to any any fiction. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that because I you definitely don't want somebody who's like narrating every single thing because you, like part of, part of reading is just letting your imagination kind of take you where it goes. And like I think I did read his story. If you go to that link that I have in the document, and I'll have the link in the show notes. Um, you can read the story that won this year's award. I mean, it's a great story. It's it's definitely short, and uh, I definitely think that he um, he achieved what he wanted to do like because they're in in very little dialogue i mean it's a very short story i almost wanted to i I meant to to do it i don't know how long it is i was going to copy and paste it out of the the link just to see how many words it was but i mean it's i mean it's got to be less than a thousand i would imagine I, i i think there's different um i don't know what technically the word count should be for flash fishing i think it's it's normally around a thousand isn't it Honestly, I don't know. I know that we 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 just kind of went with our guts and said we were going to do like one to two thousand words. But I know at least one of my stories I've done was under a thousand. Yeah, I did one that was two. less than a thousand. But he he did a really good job, and he the the lend the <clears throat> fuck his ending was actually really interesting, and it he he had another quote here that I'm going to read, and I think his ending was. I mean, it's it's right in line with what he says. So it's he said that he admits that story endings are hard for him to pin down. He tries to focus on two things that signal resolution, a change in character or circumstances, or a signal that changes within reach and the rhythm of the sentences. And he goes on to talk about the rhythm of the sentences. And I'm not I'm not so worried about the rhythm of the sentences because that's more of like a literary thing. And um, although I might need to try to enter that world at some point to... If I wanna if I wanna teach or whatever, that's not really like literary fiction is not kind of my jam. We'll see what comes out of it. But I'm not so concerned with the rhythm of the sentences. But I do I like this idea of like if you're not changing them in the story, you need to at least kind of allude to the fact that the change is within their reach. And that's what he said. And it, like his ending was kind of like that. And I don't know, it made it kind of made me think about just how I I want to structure my stories going forward. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a good thing to shoot for. And then, uh, like, another part of it, too, is he says that, to go back to the original quote, it's just like, he says it's a piece of a story, so it in, essentially it's a scene. But, like, I was taught that a good scene has a beginning, middle, and an end, and it should function to move a story forwards, and it should always have some sort of change or something... Otherwise, like there's no like it should be moving the story forward somehow. So there has to be like some sort of either character change or something in that scene. So shouldn't every scene written be able to technically function as a short story? Or do do you think there needs to be more to make it function as a story as opposed to a scene? Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't think you could get away with that because. In in most books like a given chapter is going to rely on things that happened prior right and you're not going to rehash those things in the prior chapter the or in the current chapter um you you kind of take it for granted that you've read the previous chapters where whereas in a short story anything that happened in the past that's important you explain on some level even if it's just in passing right yeah you don't take anything for granted you you have to tell the the reader what you need them to know so I think you'd be hard pressed to to write. I 
to write something that could each chapter would be standalone. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think I've seen actually. Um, I think I've seen people do this in when they're releasing a book or whatever. Um, I've heard of people um, even submitting chapters as a short story just to kind of um, kind of gauge reader um, reactions and like if they're invested in it or like to just to get an idea and see if they're on the right track or if they should be wasting their time writing. Um, would you ever consider doing that? Like throwing a chapter of like, say, the next uh, Reeve book out there as a standalone and just be like, hey, here's here's my character. You know, if you want to read more, you're, the book's coming. Would you ever consider doing anything like that? Uh, if I, if I had an actual fan base, <laughs> um, may, maybe, I, I don't know. I think it would be more for their entertainment than for my edification. Um, and I could be completely off with this. Um, it might explain that lack of a fan base, but, uh, I generally have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing and where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether what I'm doing and where I'm going with the story is effective, obviously, is 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 ultimately at the reader's discretion in a sense. But uh, I I don't have any ambiguity about what I'm trying to do, right? And so, like, I I, I can't see me putting something out there and be like, "Hey, does this work for you?" Because it's it I'm beyond that question, right? It's like this mm-hmm. is what I want to do. I'm doing it this way, regardless of what you think about it. So that makes sense. An- another interesting thing in this interview that I didn't put in the document, but I'm I'm reading now. It's he. This guy, he actually started writing novels, and he turned to writing short stories when an editor that he had sent a draft of his novel to suggested he write short stories to perfect his craft. And, like, I'm wondering if that's good advice, because it it almost seems like it's, like, if you have a longer piece, like, sure... Like, a lot of times people will write longer pieces and then you'll end up with way more than you need and you'll have to, like, kind of, you know, shorten it down, like, pull out some of the bulk and make sure that it, you know, it's the pace is right or whatever. But, like, I almost think that maybe short stories would be hard if you're following his advice because it's, you have less space to really make a connection with the reader. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, because I, I started out on the other end. I started writing short stories first. And it was mainly, I think, just a... It's a smaller palette that you're working with, right, in order to tell a story. And you're just figuring out how to tell a story and really mm-hmm. what story to tell. And, and unless you already had some grandiose idea going into it, which I, I didn't. I just had really abstract concepts at best. Like I, there's no way I could have started out with a novel. So it was always about, let me just write something short just to like have a sort of that idea, like a start, a middle and an end mm-hmm. just to see where I get. And then once I got comfortable with that and I started to see how you could do something in a longer form and have bigger ideas, more complicated ideas, then that's when I started writing longer. But even gotcha. still today, I struggle to write for length. I it, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, as someone who's only written short form and is yet to, you know, put like write a, a like full novel length work, it's a daunting task. Oh, you go over a uh, limit every month, man. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, but well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's that. But actually this month I, I'm, st- I'm over, but I'm way better than I normally am. I don't know. I find it to be daunting. And I think maybe... I mean, that's probably part of the reason I'm procrastinating. Well, here's the thing. Don't have in your head how long you want it to be. You know what I mean? Because then that, that that's going to 
you're going to get tripped up on that. Just write the story until it's done. And if it's 30,000 words, then you have another 100,000. <laughs> right. But like, just write the story until it's done. All right. Well, I, I hope that by next month, I have some news for you that I at least have picked which project I want to work on. And, and I'm moving forward. I hope so. I'm anxious to see something come to fruition. Yes. I, I just need to make it happen. And I think I think I'm gonna try this schedule thing out and see and see what it does. Um I think ten o'clock is gonna be like it's the time at night when everybody's kinda of winding down anyways. So and usually like I've I've I tried writing in the morning one day this month just because like I've heard some people like to do that and you can be really creative as soon as you write up. Man, that shit's not for me. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever written in the morning. My my, my time is like nighttime. So I mean that's it so anyways that's kind of all i got for today so like what do you say we just uh dive right into the stories yeah that's cool so this month's prompt is easy does it which i believe you added is that right i i maybe i i started a a (laughs) poll and i threw a a prompt on there just to get the ball rolling but didn't in necessarily intend for that one to be what people pick so was this something that just kind of just popped in your head to get it rolling or is there more to it like the party with brenda thing no this is just a random like i'm like uh what you know i just need to put up a poll we we were late this month like what what do i what do i I put up there it was just a random thought (laughs) gotcha well I, i had fun with it i hope you had fun with it i think it was a good i think it was a good prompt so well you can do anything with it really yeah so all right why don't you uh Take us away here. What's your story called this month? My story is called 27 Degrees. All right. And here we go. It's 27 degrees and my fingers are numb. At least that's what my dashboard says. 27 degrees. It's usually a bit off, so it's probably something like 23. My head is thick with fog. The road ahead is just a straight shot to the lake. And a song called Float On is up next on Shuffle. It's a moody tune about lost love and lost youth. At least that's what it seems like to me. I guess you just interpret lyrics the way you want. And the way the song teeters on the edge of losing it, but never quite getting there, makes me wonder where all its anguish comes from. Somewhere deep down, I expect. From the gut. Whoever wrote the song strikes a balance between bitter nostalgia and anger and dissatisfaction and all the pent-up feelings of never having been... I don't know. Anything, I guess. Maybe that's just me reading into it again. Maybe it's just this exact moment. The cold steering wheel, the heat that still hasn't caught up, the dim dusk, and the general feel of malaise. I mean, there's nothing in front of me. I could just keep going right on into the lake. Just the pedal mashed to the floor, no brakes at all. There's a house or two, of course. Somehow, I'd have to get around them, or through them, maybe. But that's not the point. The point is just driving right off the edge, feeling the surge of free fall, dropping into the icy water below. I always thought if I was in a car headed for water, the first thing I would do is roll down the windows before the car even hit it, since I'm told you can't open the doors once you're underwater. The pressure is too great. But not today. That would defeat the point. This would be a singular act, a final definitive decision with no regard to what comes next. There wouldn't be enough time not enough space to think about consequences. It would be all about the moment captured with the song and cold and fog in my brain, that impenetrable, dense soup of thoughts. I can't live in the moment, though. I think I'm incapable of it. 
Plus, I think about what might be next. I like to think I believe in God, you know. It's in the back of my head, knowing that even if I ended it, there's still something after. And that seems to be the inescapable tragedy about it. I mean, what if I just didn't want to exist at all? There's no way to guarantee you could actually end your existence. No way to know you wouldn't make things even worse for yourself in some lamentable hell. But to not exist at all, the desire to just not be, is the existentialist self-hatred, and I don't know what to do with it. In the end, I decide to make the turn at the end of the street, rather than to test the structural integrity of the houses against my vehicle. Easy does it, keep an eye out for black ice, and then transition the hurling mass of metal gracefully onto a new trajectory. It's simple. Motions I've gone through time and time again with barely a thought. Still, there's that slight urge to disobey, but it's weak now that I've consciously committed to do otherwise. Then in a moment, I've completed my wary intention and set the vehicle in the direction of home, that claustrophobic studio apartment that only seems marginally warmer than the garage above which it's built. I pass the nice houses that glow with lamplight and warmth and presumably cheer. You always have that, the grass is always greener impression, I suppose, and it's only natural to want to subvert your shortcomings into something that can be projected as someone else's good fortune. That way you can abdicate responsibility and accountability and all those other illities and make it the world's problem. It's flat out dark by the time I get home, and the silence of absence is weighty. It's almost a living thing, that silence. Like a virus or some type of parasite, it wants to latch on and penetrate. Even the thud of my boots on the stairs seems muted, the wafting quiet trails me inside as I switch on a meager light that splashes an anemic swath of yellow across the discolored pile of the carpet. Next is a mindless process of foraging in the fridge for two slices of cold, four-day-old pizza and a Coke, and then a quarter bag of greasy potato chips that sits on top. These make their way down my gullet as the murmur of well-worn sitcom rerun one-liners rambles on from the TV. At some point I move beyond my half-hearted attempt at normalcy and sit at my desk. It's tucked into a corner where the cant of a dormer cuts across the ceiling. You could call it a nook, I guess. A cozy little corner of inconsequence. I'll sit there for hours under a desk lamp for want of motivation, searching for something like purpose. I could undertake any number of constructive tasks. Create a spreadsheet for my finances. Read a book. Take an online course. Write poetry. Learn a new language. Better myself. Any number of things rather than scrolling through countless feeds of internet opinions about inanities and pop culture drivel as I slouch in my chair. There is no action, no activity on my part. I simply take up space and nothing else. I spin in my chair and notice a tiny black spider crawling across the wall. I've seen him before. He's been showing up almost every day now for about a week. Normally my rule is to leave animals alone unless they've entered my living space. Then it's fair game. But I've let this fellow live. There's a flimsy sense of companionship between us. He shows up for his seemingly pointless nocturnal wanderings like he wants to commiserate. Plus, it's too much work to stand up, get a tissue, and smash his squishy little body with it. It's easier to stay huddled in my nook even though moving around would get my blood flowing and conceivably warm me up. Even the thought of wandering to the closet to get a hoodie is exhausting. Exhausting like the dismal corners of dirt and disarray I can't bring myself to clean. It's just the main, concentrated, well-trafficked areas of the apartment I keep relatively spotless. But my efforts are beginning to wane there as well. Lying to myself is easy, too. Mischaracterized motivations make for numbing lullabies that put me to sleep every night. It's so painlessly simple to believe I'm a good person and that I'm owed something. That I deserve to be happy. 
that tomorrow there will be change. Just so long as that doesn't rely on me. I don't have it in me to carry that burden. It's too cold and I'm too tired. Tired of excuses. Tired of not having enough. Tired of having too much. For what it's worth, it's just not worth it. I'll stick with complaining because that's what I'm best at. There. Is that a good enough excuse? It's a good enough excuse for me. I know it's nothing of the sort, but I'm quite happy to ignore that. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Don't even know why I'm still awake. I look to the wall again, and that spider is still there. He's paused his trek across the plaster. Is he looking at me? Waiting for me to say something? Looking on spitefully? I decide I don't really care. Without hesitation, I reach up and smash him with my fist. The end. Wow, man. I feel like every week, or every month there, you're kind of getting like a little darker and a little darker. Really? Yeah. I thought I had a comedy like an, a month or two ago. That's true. I mean, it's it's true, but man, this one, like one of the first notes I wrote wrote down here is like, this is fucking dark, man. What I like about the the way that you write is like, we spent that entire story in your character's head. I love the first person. I feel like you really like to write in the first person. I do. And and I think it really just works. What I want to know is like what has driven this character to this like I mean there's like a lack of motivation to to do anything. There's there's a lack of will to live almost. Like I mean like I'll be honest in in the beginning when you were when we were driving in the car I fully expected this guy or I think did we identify if it was a, a male or female? Uh, we didn't. Uh, I guess in my head, I assumed he was a male. I was picturing a male, so I, I guess I'll just say guy, because um, that's what I—that's kind of what I pictured. But I—I I, I imagined he was going to drive into the lake. There was a there's a whole lot of thought there, and that's what really just like kind of darkened it up. And then when he made that the last minute turn, he said something like, um, "I need to keep an eye out for black ice." And I was mm-hmm. like, "That is a really interesting thing to say, considering this 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 per- this person was just a like he was going over in his head like, ah, I should probably open the windows if I'm going to hit water because that's how I would get out of the car. But like today, yeah, not necessary. We're just going to go." And I was like, "So that's where I like at first I thought it was it was an interesting thing that he would be thinking to be careful." when he was just thinking to be so sort of reckless. But I think that's at the point where, where it like shifted and, and, and he was on his way home and we knew that the desire that was presented really wasn't, I don't know. It was just like, it was just, it was almost like, you know, everybody has had dark thoughts or something at one point, but you know, most people don't act on them. And I, I originally thought that this character was going to act on him. And then it just turns out it was, it was very, it was very human. It was very humanizing to him because it was just like, he's just going to go home, even though like, it didn't seem like he had a whole lot to go home to. So his comment there about keeping an eye out for black guys, that it, it was in combination with the, the prompt easy does it. Yeah. 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 It might, my, my, it may not have came across that way in my reading, but my intention was that for that to sort of be like, like a a sarcastic sort of comment to himself. Got it. Like, got it. Hey, well, you know, I'm not going to drive into the lake, so I got to make this turn safely. Easy does it, you know, keep an eye out for black ice and kind of like, 
you know, he almost was spiteful that, um, you know, with himself that he didn't have the guts to do it. And really, I think overall, this is just, this character just sort of a, a coward. He's yeah. just ineffectual and, and isn't, isn't willing to do anything with himself and clearly doesn't have the courage to really commit himself to any course of action. Yeah. Well, um, destructive or otherwise. Yeah. One thing that I thought was really interesting was there was, um, it was a part where he was, I mean, it was, it was a part where he was in the car. It was earlier in the story where he was talking about um, how he would like to believe that there was a God or whatever. And then he, he talked about like dying and what, but then he would just exist in another, another form or another place if, if that truly existed. And what if he didn't want to exist at all? Yeah. And I right. thought that that was, that was, um, it was a really interesting thought because I think, most people they either believe that when you die there's something else or when you die there's nothing but nobody ever really talks about like what if i believe that there's something else but i don't want something else right, right. which i i just thought that that was a, a really interesting take so that that definitely stuck out for me and then I li- I like the line towards the end where he was like I'll stick with complaining because that's what I'm best at and holy shit if you could describe like the majority of people in this world right now like all they do is <laughs> fucking complain <laughs> yeah yeah I I think it maybe there's a little bit of um maybe sort of like commentary there with regard to like yeah like you know like people you know other people are gonna do things that you know you're not going to have control over and are going to make a mess of things. But like that doesn't resolve you of like your own personal responsibility and how you behave and operate and deal with adversity and that kind of thing. So I was sort of maybe poking at that bear a little bit, but I I thought, I thought you might've been, but um, it was, it was subtle and I, and I liked it. Um, The last thing that I really have in my notes here is like right at the beginning, you always talk and you've talked multiple times about how music motivates your writing. And I think that was evident right at the beginning when he, there was like a little bit of commentary about the lyrics or whatever. And I just thought it was really nice because I, I could see you in the story right there. So in a sense, this was me in the story up to a certain point because I was, the idea for the song or the, uh, the, the friend in the story was I was driving home from work, heading towards the lake and like it was later in the day. And so there weren't any cars in front of me and it was just literally a straight shot to the lake. And like, mm-hmm. I just had the, like this song float on was on and you know, I, I don't know, I might've been in a pissy mood or something, but, um, it's a good, it's a good song. Who's it by? Uh, a band called Black Foxes. I just need it for the show notes. I'm going to put it in there. Right. Two two X's in the Foxes. Got it. Um, but uh, they're a, a, a British band. But anyway, uh, I was like, like it, and it wasn't the first time it ever occurred to me, but like those, those times where you're just kind of trucking home and you're like, what if I didn't make the turn? What if I just kept going? <laughs> like right into the lake, like just like, you know, how far would I get if I just kept my foot on the gas? You know, just like not, not a, in a suicidal way, but like, right. You know what I mean? Like just a random thought, like what if I just kept going, you know? <laughs> And this song was on, I'm like, well, that's sort of an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting take. And it was such a weird moment because, like, the song does sort of have, like, this angsty feel to it. And, yeah. Um, I, w- I was like, well, maybe maybe I'll just put that in the in the the files files for later and maybe I'll, it'll surface someday as a, as a story. Yeah, sure. For a podcast, but. No, I really liked it. And like I said, I really like the way that you're able to just, like, get in the character's head and stay there and just, like 
just really keep keep us engaged because that's how I think that's a hard thing to do because um you know you could see it I'm not, I'm not sure um you can see it in movies these days like there used to be a lot more like everything used to be like slowed down and you you think right. things could build but now people just want action 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 and they want to know what happens next and like you're able to like really keep us engaged but like really that everything was just it was just that guy thinking the whole time yeah like, the entire yeah. time and there was action in there you know what i mean and it's just like that i i think that that's something that's hard to do that's something i'm not very good at so um i thought it was great i thought it was really well done thanks yeah it's i mean it's one of those things where i i'm in um, i'm an introvert you know and like mm-hmm. I live in my head, you know, and like I, it's, so it's, it's easy for me to create characters in the first person to sort of live in their headspace. Cause that's just where I'm comfortable at, I guess. So gotcha. This one just flowed really easy. Yeah. Yeah. How long was it just out of curiosity? About 1300 words. 1300. See, you're good at going like real low. I, I am like about 1200, 1300, sometimes 1400. That's like my sweet spot. It seems like that. That's where I'm at usually. Yeah. Like I said, like I, I did better this month. And I, actually, I, you know, every month I say this, I, I think I'm going to be short, <laughs> but I'm not. Like, I'm, yeah, right. I'm looking at my past three stories. Or let's go back to episode 20. Oh, shit. Was that really that long? You had a pretty long one. Holy shit. A couple, a couple months back. I don't remember which it one was. It was the Dark but... Side of Oz one, man. That was almost 4,000 words. Uh, okay yeah <laughs> i'm terrible at this well you, you know what i'm gonna tell you you should go work on some flash fiction to hone your craft <laughs> that's it's fucking funny right there yeah the last two months were 24 like almost 2500 words and today i got 2136 so like i was close i was close well, between you and me, we're we're averaging what two thousand <laughs> words a story. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I can't believe I wrote four thousand words there. That's like double what we're, we're supposed to try to stay by. Oh man, I'm terrible. All right, so are you ready for mine this month? I I, I am. I, I I don't know if I will be when we're done, but yeah, let's. Yeah, let's this hear one's it. pretty mild for me, if I must say. Okay. But anyways, uh, my story this month is called Inauguration Night. Now, originally, I do this... I can't even tell you how many times I do this. Originally, I wanted this story to be called... Hold on. There's a line in here. Um, I think I was going to call it Shadows of the Unknown. And then... So, I, ha- I, I titled it. And you, normally, I title it right as I'm about to like transcribe my my handwritten into the computer for the first time. So I typed the title and then I looked at last month's story and last month's story was called shadows. Like, I don't know. I can't even tell you how many fucking times I do this. i like name my stories the same fucking thing. So we changed it and it's now called inauguration night. I like shadows of the unknown better, but I'm not going to call, I'm not going to have one story called shadows and one story called shadows of the unknown. It's just not going to happen. So anyways, here's inauguration night. If her concentration broke even in the slightest, if her attention didn't remain fixated on the spot where she last spotted them, she knew they would be lost in the dark expanse of night. 
Anna stood at her window, her fingernails burrowed in the wood that had been softened by the relentless humidity brought on by summer, focused on a bit of space below a large branch belonging to the largest oak on their property. Its knotted tendrils reached out until they became one with the blackened sky. The day sky had been filled with storm clouds that had threatened rain, but never delivered, much to the dismay of her father, who had no problem voicing his disgust for a dry, weathered lawn, but unwilling to put forth the effort or justify the expense of watering it himself. They failed to disperse as the sun departed, masking the familiar landscape of the front yard with shadows of the unknown. Her gaze remained focused, knowing that the moment she relented was the moment that they won. She heard her mother's soft footsteps approaching, but did nothing to acknowledge them. A bead of sweat trickled down from her brow, and with it came the overwhelming urge to brush it away, but she feared that even the slightest motion would alert them to her presence. Tears formed in the corners of her eyes as her anxiety built, and with her mother now only a few steps away, her persistence began to waver. The moment her mom's hand fell on her shoulder, a break in the clouds cast a sliver of moonlight over the yard, and three pairs of eyes stared back at Anna. Six specks of silver shot daggers at her through the gloom outside her window. She shrieked and threw her arms around her mother, burying her face into the apron tied around her waist. She reached down to stroke her daughter's back and whispered to quiet her as the girl's rapid breathing evolved into muffled sobs. Goodness, girl, whatever's the problem? Anna looked up at her mother with puffy eyes and whimpered. They're, they're watching me. Who's watching you? The bats, cried Anna. She threw her arm back and pointed toward the window without turning her face to look. They're waiting for me to go to sleep so they can fly in my room and get me. Anna's mother unlatched her daughter's hand from the back of her dress and stepped back in the room toward the bedside table. She retrieved a lantern and crossed to the window, sidestepping a creaky floorboard as not to alarm Anna any further. Anna, darling, we've been over this. Bats eat insects, not people, and if they're not eating, they're sleeping. She swung the lantern out the window, illuminating a foreboding but empty tree. So even if there were bats out there, which there are not, they would be doing what you should be doing, and that's getting a good night's sleep. Anna stared aghast at the spot that she had watched all evening long with so much intensity. Nothing. Nothing at all. Her eyes remained unblinking as her mother ducked down to take her hand and lead her away from the window. She stayed locked on that spot until the cool touch of her mother's hand nudged Anna's attention back to her. She allowed herself to be tucked in, and after her mother had smoothed out the sheets and fluffed her pillow, she leaned in to give her a kiss on the forehead before beginning her retreat. Mama, do I have to sleep with the window open? Can't we close it just for one night? Her mother returned to her bedside, now aware that if she didn't play this right, she'd be in for a long night herself. She took one look at her daughter trembling under the sheets and let out an audible sigh as she took a seat on the edge of the bed. She untied her apron and used it to dab the sweat from Anna's face. Look at you, sweating like a hog as it is. Your cheeks are flush. I'm afraid the window must stay open. As if on cue, a warm breeze fluttered Anna's golden brown hair and the young girl leaned into it. Proves my point exactly. Even a warm breeze is better than no breeze at all. Anna gave a reluctant nod and her mother's heart broke a little as she caught the sorrow in her child's eyes. She held the tears back so Anna wouldn't get a glimpse and have a chance to exploit her in this brief moment of weakness. 
Would, would you sit with me until I fall asleep then? Of course I will. Now close your eyes. Anna did as she was asked and turned toward her mother, nuzzling up against her. All the stress that accompanies fear must have exhausted the poor girl, for it was only a short time before her breathing began to slow, and the silence in the room was replaced with faint snoring. Anna's mother rose from beside her daughter and grabbed the lantern from the bedside. She was so focused on the steady rhythm of Anna's breathing that she forgot about the loose board, and shivers ran down her spine as the creak echoed throughout the room. She prepared to be called back to her fragile daughter's side. She stood motionless. Every muscle in her body tightened, and she held her eyes clenched as she awaited Anna's panicked voice. After her own heart settled down, she was pleased to find that the only other sound in the room was the soft snoring that had never ceased. Relieved, she tiptoed the rest of the way out of the room and closed the door with a soft click. If Anna's mother would have taken the time to make one more pass at the tree outside, she would have found that her daughter's fears were more than just fantasy. Six eyes lie focused on that which she loved most in the world. Had she not hurried down the hall to prepare her own bed, she would have seen the owners of those eyes had moved to just below the base of her daughter's open window. And had she not drifted off to sleep the instant her head fit the pillow, she may have heard the soft flutter of wings, followed by the muted sound of three sets of feet landing in unison around her daughter as she slept. Three generations of the original undead stood at the foot of Anna's bed, watching the steady rise and fall of her chest as she drifted off into a dream. The oldest of them wore a long velvet cape with a high collar, draped over a white shirt and black slacks. He towered over the other two, and his shadow washed over Anna, draining all the color from her face, reducing her to nothing more than a means to an end for her unsolicited visitors. Samuel was a handsome man, albeit a tad short when compared to the other males in the family. He rebelled against the traditional dress of his father, choosing to wear a navy three-piece suit for the occasion. His own daughter, Clara, kept close to him, expending her nervous energy by repeatedly smoothing out the front of her plain white dress, the customary attire for a young lady's inaugural feeding. The old man spoke up. Yes, I think she'll do nicely. He gave Clara one last look, and with a swirl of his cape slipped across the room and opened the bedroom door without making a sound. I shall return. Of course he wouldn't stick around for this, thought Samuel. He always had something better to do, and his presence had been even less frequent over the past couple of years, ever since he had stopped feeding on live hosts and started seeking out alternative methods for sustenance. He shook these thoughts from his head as to not get angry. This was Clara's day. He took Clara's hand and knelt down to speak to her at her level. Are you ready? Clara nodded. She hadn't stopped watching Anna sleep since they had arrived. She looked to be about the same age as her and had a similar build, chosen by design in the case of a struggle. Once transformed, she would have no problem overpowering a mortal child if it came down to it, but she could already tell it wouldn't be necessary. Samuel led her to Anna's side and gave his daughter's hand a gentle squeeze before releasing it and taking a step back to observe. His little girl was all grown up. Anna slept with one arm tucked beneath her pillow and the other resting outside her comforter. Perfect. Clara moved in and took Anna's exposed arm by the wrist and gently placed it above her head, exposing the inside of her bicep. That's it, whispered Samuel, whenever you're ready. Clara gave her father a quick glance for reassurance and faced forward. She closed her eyes and began to clear her mind. 
She thought of the world beyond, a world of neither dark nor light, where life went on without the fear of death, for death was no longer an option. She had heard the tales and was a true believer. In a few short moments from now, she would finally get her first taste of eternal life. She leaned her head back and opened her mouth. As desire began to consume her, two small fangs pierced through her gums, unveiling themselves to the world. As they moved into position, a piercing chill ran through Clara's body. She felt it consume every bone, every muscle, every fiber of her being. Her eyes shot open, all the color replaced with a deep black, and she saw the world before her in a brand new light. The warm blood running through Anna's veins presented itself to her in the form of a discernible orange glow. A subtle heat seemed to radiate from her. Go on, urged Samuel. Time is of the essence. The sound of her father's voice brought her back to the task at hand. Remembering her studies, the warmth that Anna offered was the only thing that could balance the chill of death, and she set her sights high on Anna's arm. As she leaned in, Anna shifted, exposing the right side of her neck. The glow of her jugular was far brighter than her previous target, and Clara began to gravitate toward it. Resist it, child. You don't want to leave a calling card. They had talked this over prior to this evening, and even though her grandfather insisted that the risk was worth the reward, her father was steadfast in the mindset that just because something had been done a certain way for generations doesn't mean that it can't be changed and improved upon. Visible wounds got people talking, and when people start to talk, we find ourselves with less open windows and a greater likelihood of the need to feed on rats and rodents. Subtlety is key. Clara moved away from the neck and allowed her fangs to penetrate the tender skin of Anna's bicep. The electricity returned, replacing the chill as promised and filling her with a sense of awareness unlike anything she had ever felt. Each one of her senses was heightened to its fullest extent and the world around her had a golden tinge to it that she had never seen before. Her father had referred to it as the ether, the source of all life as we know it. She opened her mouth wider to allow more blood to flow. Easy does it, child. You can't take too much from these little ones. Clara pulled back and licked a drop of blood from her lips as she returned Anna's arm to its original resting position. So, how'd she do? Both Clara and her father jumped as her grandfather poked his head between them. The old man gave him a big grin, bringing attention to his bright red lips and spherical pink stain above his upper lip. What's happened to your lip, Grandpa? Samuel gave his father a stern look and shook his head no. The men locked eyes for a long moment before the old man turned his attention back to Clara. Oh, I just snuck down to the kitchen and had a spot of tea. The water was a bit too hot and I must have burned my lip. Before she could ask any follow-up questions, the sound of approaching footsteps broke up the conversation, and the visitors disappeared back into the night from which they came. So... (laughs) When you started talking about um, your original title, I was like, man, it sounds like a vampire uh, a vampire story. Uh-huh. And uh, I was thinking about, um, was it Dark Shadows, that show you used to like? Oh, I fucking love Dark Shadows. Holy shit. That's got to go in the show notes. Yeah, for some reason, that's <laughs> what, I, what I thought about. Um And uh, I, I still have Dracula somewhat fresh in my mind um because i read that somewhat recently yeah and so sort of like the sneaking it through the window and stuff was very reminiscent of um a lot of the sequences in that book uh it was um it it you had me guessing 
at first like you know was it the girl's imagination was it just like animals or bats out there or was it going to be something malevolent and uh like as soon as you kind of shifted um after the the mother went went to bed i was like oh no here 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 it comes <laughs> um but you 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 had a little bit of a um a twist there that 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 was good about like they were concerned about not leaving a calling card and that kind of thing yes which kind of uh then reminded me a bit for some reason of um i think it was 30 days of night and uh i'm i'm sure you've seen it i've seen it and i've read the comic and i got to say i like the comic better than the movie I didn't know there was a comic. Yeah, it was based off a comic. Okay. So um, that's worth reading, uh, by the way. I will put that also in the show notes. Well, there was a um, there was a line one of the vampires said uh, when they when they got to this town in Alaska where it's like, you know, the sun doesn't come up for thirty days or whatever, and it was something something to the effect of like, oh, we we should have thought of this like years ago. Like, why didn't we think of this? You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, and. Sort of like that, you know, in order for vampires to survive, they have to adapt or maybe change their methods and, and things like that. And uh, it, it sort of like made me made me think of that as well. Yeah. I So I wanted to stay like very like I was trying to channel like like Dracula, like the I wanted it to feel like classic Dracula. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But I also wanted to kind of like twist it up a little bit. So I kind of I kind of put it in there because. I think the vampires are the coolest of the undead. I think, I think I prefer vampires to zombies. Uh, I I would agree they're more, they're more interesting. Um, so like I've always kind of wanted to do something with that, but I feel like I mean there was a big vampire kick. What like maybe ten years ago, maybe even twenty years ago when we were just getting shit left and right. We were getting the Anne Rice stuff, and then it was the sparkly vampires. Yeah, uh, my favorite vampire movie. Um, Okay, this is hard because I like, I mean, I like, I really like the, the, old the silent Nosferatu. Right. Like, I love that movie. I love the 1930 whatever Dracula. I love, love, love John Carpenter's vampires. <laughs> now, that is not a popular it's opinion. Been a long, it's been a long time since but I've seen that. fucking A, if the coolest way to kill a vampire isn't shoot them with a crossbow attached to a winch on a jeep and pull them into the sunlight where they proceed to explode. That is the best. Nothing will ever beat that. So I actually like 30 Days of Night pretty well. It was good. I Not that I like love it or something, but like what I liked about it was um, it, I think, I felt like it portrayed... Um, like the aftermath of a vampire attack more realistically where you don't just have like a little trickle of blood from your corner of your lip. Like your whole front of your shirt is stained and like, it's just all over you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's what would happen if you bit into somebody's neck. Sure. And so to me, it seemed a little bit more of a, like, you know, as realistic as you can get a take on it. You know what? I might have to revisit the film because Josh Hartnett's in that movie. Right. Right? Yeah. And my wife used to have like this this big crush on Josh Hartnett back in the day. So, of course, you hated it. So, I hated him for it. And it was like, you know, I think, I think what happens is what like when you're in your 20s and your wife has a crush on some guy, you take it like personally. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, well, like, fuck. And, and let's be serious. Josh Hartnett's like some mousy, weird looking wussy dude. Like, <laughs> let's be serious. 
I guess I still have some of that built up it angst towards like Josh it. Hartnett, but like now I just don't give a shit anymore. So maybe maybe I could watch it without without that bias. Also, I had a, so spoilers if you've never seen the movie, but also I'm not sold on the fact that if you lit like oil, like crude oil, it would ignite like gas. Uh, is that I don't is that right? Because that kind of bugged me. I don't I don't know. Um, I was gonna say that. The movie also had, um, kind of gave me a genuine sense of like hopelessness and dread, because mm-hmm. um, it's like you you see sort of like this situation that like is just it's not like it's a a slasher film where like it's all gonna be over tonight. Like this is like it goes on for a month. You know what I mean? And it, it I had this a similar reaction to um, I Am Legend. With uh, Will yes. Smith, where it's just like, oh man, you like you start to kind of see like the, like the dread and the anguish of just like you're, you have to lock yourself in at night and all this stuff. But um, not that I love that movie either. But uh, it just it sort of like had that same. Sense it wasn't of bad. Dread. It's been a minute since I've seen I Am Legend, so I, I wouldn't mean, it be wasn't, able to comment on it. It wasn't a bad it. film, but it just like I'm throwing these out there because I'm not really a, a horror fan per se. Yeah. Um, but side note, the book uh, I Am Legend, um. Uh, the movie was based on it was a book and it's actually about vampires not zombies or whatever these creatures were in, in the movie i don't even know if they were actually zombies okay. either but man i'm really filling up the uh the show notes here yeah yeah well i'm gonna give you one more so the other thing that your story reminded me of the scene with the three of them in there have you ever seen dark city you know what you are the second person this week that has asked me if I have seen Dark City. What's well, a sign? And I have not. It's fantastic. And I am going to watch it. It is like at the top of my list of things to watch. Although I got to say, um, my buddy was telling me about Dark City and he was like, come here, we're going to watch the trailer. We were at work, right? So I was socially distanced six feet away from his computer, everybody out there. And the trailer is the worst trailer for a film ever. It could be. I don't, like, it I don't tells it. you nothing. The only thing of value that I got out of the trailer was like, we are in a world where it's always dark. So I will say this. It would be extremely difficult, I think, to give you a compelling trailer for that film without giving it away what's going on. That's fair enough. But I mean, we were just watching it and like it made no fucking sense so at all. It's got... Um, it's got a really cool like noir vibe to it. Um, it's uh, it's just it's it's just the style and the vibe of it is really cool. And uh, I don't know, I, I like it a lot. I own it. Um, I haven't seen it in a while, but it's really good. But there's a scene in it, and once you see it, you'll probably understand what I'm talking about. Um, but I, I'm gonna watch it before we talk again. We're gonna add it to follow up for next. Okay. Month. Well, it was there's a scene in there with three characters. And one of them is young, and it. It kind of reminded me of that as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's it's a movie I need to watch. Um, let's see. The one thing that I was tell me if you think this is interesting because I like I wanted it to feel classic vampire, but at the same time I kind of wanted to add like something a little new. So I added the thing where like she needed to be. Bu- a believer because like i think his historically or classically i should say i classically one becomes a vampire once a vampire bites them right and that has changed to the point where it's like i think i don't know it might have been in the twilight movies but it's just like you have to 
I think it's 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 evolved to like you have to feed from them a certain amount. Like you can feed from them without turning them, or you can feed with them from them, and they'll just continue to exist only with less blood, right? Yeah, I don't know. I never <laughs> I never saw I'm, the I'm, Twilight I'm stuff. Not really, dude. Okay, so like, I think I watched the first movie, and the second that this fucking vampire opened up his shirt in the sunlight and started to <laughs> sparkle, I was out because John Carpenter taught me that when they are in sunlight, they explode. That's what I want to happen. I want them so, to ignite. talking about that now makes me think of another movie, and I don't remember <laughs> the name of it, but it had um, Willem Dafoe and... Uh, some other some other guy that you know. I just can't remember who it was. Um, Is it a vampire movie? It's a vampire movie. It's like sort of in the future. Where Is it called Shadow of the Vampire? With John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe? Produced by Nicolas Cage? I don't remember Malkovich being in it. But it's, it's, it, the, the premise is that it's basically... Humans are basically the minority and vampires are pretty much the norm. Like they're in, They just live in normal society and... Instead of getting getting a cup of coffee, you get a cup of blood, basically, and that's sort of like how they, you know, get their fix, so to speak, because there's just gotcha. not enough humans anymore. And so I don't I don't know if they synthesize the blood. I, I can't remember all the details, but there's a there's a twist on the whole sunlight thing in it that I, I won't spoil for you. But um, I just thought of that. I need to find the movie. I'm because, gonna look it up now. So so Shadow of the Vampire, I actually want to see now because. The the IMDb description says the film is, like this is the, the movie is the filming of Nosferatu of 1922 is hampered by the fact that its star Max Schreck is taking the role of a vampire far more seriously than seems humanly possible. So now I want to see this because I really do like Nosferatu. Not I don't know I don't know if a lot of people today like watching silent films, but if if you like or even think you might like watching a silent film, like Nosferatu's awesome. Like just the it was so early in like cinematic history and the way that they used like light in that movie um is fucking awesome. Like so, so good. this was not so Shadow good. of the Vampire. Okay. Um and now I'm like annoyed because everything that's popping up when I search for Willem Dafoe vampire movie is Shadow of the Vampire. And I'm I'm like almost positive it, it was Willem Dafoe in this film. Oh, it might be Daybreakers. Let me look at Daybreakers. Yes, it's called Daybreakers. Daybreaker. Okay, so it's called Daybreakers. Um, let me let me look at that real quick. I don't know if I, I doubt that I've seen this. Are you recommending it? Uh, I don't know that I could say I recommend it. I, I mean, it's like if you're really bored, it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible movie, but like, again, it's not it's not my genre really. Um. Oh, in the Ethan year 2019. Hawk, that's, that's so holy shit! So this came out in 2009. The description is in the year 2019, a plague has transformed almost every human into vampires. I wonder if he was just a year off and he meant 2020, and that's what we're heading next. That's what's going to happen in Q4. Yeah. <laughs> vampires. Okay. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we got enough shit right now without dealing with vampires, right? yeah okay so anyways i'm gonna try to rear us back to the story here because i wanted to see what your thoughts were on her deciding like being a true believer meaning she could take that step 
So I, I kind of wanted to introduce into the world where vampires, the vampires can reproduce, but in order for their children to assume that lifestyle, they have to choose it. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. You sort of inverted the the trope a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of mess with it a little bit just to kind of see if, um, I mean, I'm always looking for something here that could spark something bigger. And I'm not sure if that's, if that's interesting enough to, to take it beyond well, the short I mean, story. It, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I guess I would always be um, a little hesitant to do anything vampire or zombie because I feel like both genres are saturated, but uh, it is always interesting to see. Cause like from the, from the human perspective, like, you know, you, you, there's just the fear and the, um, like the horrific sort of reaction yeah, to a vampire, right? But like, you don't really, you know, f- from the human side, they're like a killing machine, right? But like from their side, you know, you don't really get to see sort of their, you know, I guess how they deal with life and how they operate and like what their motivations are, if they're completely mindless or whatever. And so to get that, that, that look is interesting. Yeah, I will say that Twilight kind of did do that. Um, it was just a little too teenage love story for well, me. Yeah, like it was a YA kind of a thing, yeah. Yeah, because well, and it's just like, but the thing is, it's just like, like I think you could write YA vampire. I mean, you might even be able to say that the story that I wrote is YA vampire, well, which would be fine. But um, there still needs to be elements of horror because they're horrific things, like. They're the undead. They can never die. They feed on the living. And it's just like, um, the, I think the vampires in Twilight and like, uh, like if you're listening and you really like, like, I don't, I don't really care if I'm saying the wrong thing right now. I guess you could tell me if I'm saying the wrong thing, like tweet at me, we can start a conversation, but I just don't care. Um, I think there was quite a few in Edward's family that I don't think they fed on the living. Like, I think they fed on animals. They 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 wouldn't feed on humans, and then and there there were other vampires that would, and there was kind of like, it was almost just like um, almost like a feud in between the two kinds of vampires because you know the ones who were feeding on animals were you know, I guess they would be the progressives. You know what I mean? Got it. They're the left, and the ones who fed on the humans were the right or whatever. Um, but I I just don't think there was enough elements of horror to keep me interested. Right, yeah. There's always uh there's always um uh the ones with Kate Beckinsale to fall back on. Which ones are those? Is that I can't interview? No. Um, no. They had like a I w- fr- whole franchise you know, of them. The um There's werewolves at some point. The Dracula that uh Keanu Reeves was in. I don't remember what year that uh, was. Yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a good movie. Yeah, it was. I, I I've been meaning to to rewatch it because I've only I only saw it once, and I you know after ha- having reread the book, I'm like I should go watch the movie again too. You should. I um, I had to watch it for like I was it was like a horror writing workshop, or something back um a few years ago. I had to watch it, and we actually watched it, we we watched like the evolution of Dracula. Like we read Dracula, we watched Nosferatu, we watched the thirty two Dracula, we watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, to kind of just see how the 
how it had changed over. I mean, it was, it was an, it's an interesting exercise to do. But I just want to plead to the listeners out there, if you have never seen John Carpenter's Vampires, it is worth every second of your time. <laughs> you have James Woods just like, free, oh, man. There's, um, there's a Baldwin in it. Yeah, there's you're like right, a, there is. Like the, the lead vampires, like some crow-looking fucker. Oh, God, it's so good. It's like I might while. watch that when we're done. Oh, it's so good. Like, all you need to know is they take crossbows with the bolts, and they have this heavy chain attached to the, the winch on a jeep, and they freaking hit the vampire in the chest, drag those fuckers out into the sunlight, and they burst into flames. It's the best thing ever. It's so good. Uh, people are people are going to hate me for this, but it is so good. It's like, I don't think a lot of people like that movie. And I just don't understand why. I, did, I, I don't recall loving it. Ugh. But it's also one of those films that I think I saw like many years after it had been released. And there, there's, I think there's a period of filmmaking, late 80s, early 90s, maybe, that if you didn't see the film at the time... It feels really dated. Yeah. In like the filmmaking just doesn't like live, you know, live up to the standard that you'd want it to kind of a thing. It's something like that. I'm going to tell you that this one holds up, man. Maybe, I think you maybe, should give it another maybe chance. Maybe I just need to watch it again. I think you should watch it again. It was 1998. It Really? It was 98? Why do it I feel was like it was older than that? A note. James Woods, Daniel Baldwin, Cheryl Lee. Because there was some good stuff that came out in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. Everybody go watch this. I'm going to watch this again, too. So I got to watch Dark City, and I got to watch Vampires again. So, yeah, I, I actually think um, I might return to this world one day. I've been kind of itching to write a vampire story for a while, and for whatever reason, as soon as I heard Easy Does It, I knew that it was going to be a vampire feeding. Really? Like, I knew it instantly. The instant I heard you say Easy Does It... I knew what it was going to be. So, um, yeah, I was excited to get in there. Okay, well, I think you I think you accomplished what you set out to do. Oh, thank you. So, for next month, before we go, I kind of want to explain what we're doing for the prompt for next month because we kind of switched it up a little. I was on Twitter and I was following an account that shoots out writing prompts and what they essentially did was they put like, it was just like, here's the writing prompt. And it was like five random words. And it was just like, here, put these words in your story. And we've never really done anything like that. We've always had something like thematically given to us or a line that's like dialogue or, or something like that. So I thought we could do this. So what we did was we went to the Facebook group where you can go and that's facebook.com slash group slash P written pod, go right on in there and you can participate. But we went in there and we started a poll and we just asked people to put single words into the poll and the top four or five words that, um, that were voted on are the words that we're going to drop in the story. And Ian, you were, you warned me about this, <laughs> this could go off, off kilter. Real challenging, quick. Yes. And boy did it. So, so for next month, episode 25. The last is, episode of season two. It is. It is. Oh, actually, you know what? Our next regular episode is... We should change this because we're going to do... Oh, a bonus episode, you're right. We're going to do a bonus episode. So our next regular episode is going to be episode 26. 
and that's going to come out on September 7th. We're going to hit you with a bonus between now and September 7th, so be on the lookout for that. And I guess I'm just going to spoil it. We're going to go deep dive into Ian Lewis's recent release, Winterfield Nights. And I'm excited to talk to him about it because I finished it uh, a few weeks ago, and I got a whole document of like notes ready to talk about, so we're just going to like dive right into it. So don't miss that. And you got a couple of weeks, so if you haven't read it yet, go buy it right yeah yeah, yeah go buy the hell out of it in a very short series easy reads so anyways episode 26 here's our prompt we have to use these following words and i'm pretty mad at everybody who, who put one of these words in so checkmate which is what i used to start off the prompt right checkmate that's it's a random but checkmate right the next word is uranus <laughs> Then the next word is transmogrifier. Like so it. for all you Calvin and Hobbes fans out there, it's it's his cardboard box that he used for a little while to essentially change things into other things, right? Yeah. Him and Hobbes, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so we, we've gone from checkmate to Uranus to transmogrifier, which is a cardboard box, then the word capillaries, and then the word crepuscular, which... I had to look up, I'm going to be honest, I didn't have the opportunity to take advanced English in high school and have one of those vocabulary builder (laughs) books. So I just know them as the rays that come down through the clouds that you can visibly see. Apparently, those are called crepuscular rays or whatever. So, yes, so... It's going to be fun. uh, Yeah, I think it would really set us... uh, I set us up for failure here, but, you know... (laughs) We'll we'll find out. It is what it is. So I kind of went out of order on the outro stuff, um... Ian, you have any sales going on or anything right now, or uh, not? Not at the moment, no. Um, nothing, nothing to report. <laughs> but if they wanted to find you, where where are people going to find you? Uh, you can go to ianlewisfiction dot com. That will give you all the links to the books and that kind of stuff. So, all right. There. To get a hold of me personally, I'm at Matt Shigarik on Twitter, which I've been trying to get back into recently. Or you can go to MattShigarik.com and that has everything else, including my Twitch uh, channel, which I've been trying to do a couple weeks. I've started playing FIFA ridiculously, and I'm kind of obsessed with soccer right now. But that's a conversation for a totally different day. As far as the podcast goes, we already mentioned the Facebook group. That's Facebook.com slash group slash Pod. Twitter at PWrittenPod. Or email us at PromptlyWrittenPod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Um, we got another book coming out, so we're going to be looking for um, little blurbs to put on there. So if you got something nice to say, I'm, I'm probably not going to print anything like terrible. Like if you tell us we suck, I'm not going to put that on the book. Although that might be funny. But if you got something nice to say, email us. It might end up on the back of our book. Who knows? And most importantly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that we can help get the word out. I think that's it for today. So we'll see you next month. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.